Welcome to The Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mom of six kids, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Payne Show. Today, I am excited to have someone sitting across from me that has a message that y'all need to hear. But also, I'm excited because I feel like she and I have a lot of connecting points that we didn't even realize until she came to my house to sit here and we started talking. And it's really cool because we have kids that go to the same school. We have both adopted. We both have a 27-weeker, although yours, she was a micro preemie, you said, and uh, actually growth was a 23 yes. at 23 weeks. So that's amazing, crazy. You talked about going to the, the NICU and seeing her, and I've spent quite a bit of time in the NICU as well. And it's just, you. there's just something about it you can't really explain until mm-hmm. you've just had that experience. But her book, we could talk about a lot of different things, but today (laughs) we're going to be talking about her book, Mind Your Mindset, The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. And she co-authored this with her dad, who probably some of you have heard of. His name is Michael Hyatt, and her name is Megan Hyatt Miller, which means that you are related to him. We are related. (laughs) We are not, to be clear, husband and wife, which every now and then people confuse. And I would like to set the record straight. We are father and daughter. (laughs) And you guys work together as well. How long have you worked together? Uh, Since 2012. So we have a long run of working together. We're now business partners and it's really, really fun. People ask me all the time, like, is it actually as good as it seems like? And yeah, it really is. We get along so well and are so complimentary that it's been a really neat journey. So growing up, like, would you have ever seen yourself someday? This is what you would be doing. (laughs) Um, Yes and no. So not specifically, but I have Mm -hmm. to tell you, this is funny. Um, When I was eight years old, okay, so Mm -hmm. this is like in the 80s, I went on my very first business trip. And can you imagine taking an eight-year-old on a business trip? But I had like my little fancy dress on (laughs) with my dad. And we went to the Christian Booksellers Association convention. And I, this is like a big trade show in publishing. And we went to all of these meetings and I sat there like in my little fancy dress at the table with him. And he was so great about not just when I was eight, but all along taking me into these professional environments and giving me those experiences, Mm. which I really think was great training for Mm. where I've ended up, but a little bit unconventional. (laughs) I love that because I pretty much always take a child with me when I travel. And so my kids have sat in on all sorts of different things and been part of all sorts of different things. And I always just think like it gives them this different perspective. They get Mm -hmm. to meet so many people. They get to learn how to conduct themselves in very business situations. And um, even they sometimes get asked to come up on stage and do things. Oh, so that's, that's awesome. Really cool. But I love that. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. And I'd love for you to just take a minute to introduce yourself to yeah. our audience. Yes. So um, again, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. I live in Franklin, Tennessee. So we're just south of Nashville. Love it here. Historic town. Um, I have five children, ages 21 to three. 
two I married into, and three we adopted. Um, so it's an unconventional family, but um, it's been a really neat road that my husband Joel and I have walked together. And then I'm the CEO of our company, Full Focus, that my dad and I own together. Um, this is a company that is all about goal achievement. We mm-hmm. help individuals and also teams to achieve big goals without compromising their most important values. And mm-hmm. for us, we have this concept called the double win, which is winning at work and succeeding at life. And so mm-hmm. this comes right out of my own story, my dad's story of wanting to succeed professionally, but do it in such a way that there's time for our health and our most important relationships. Because like I said, I have five kids, I have kids with special needs, and um, that's really important to me to be able to be be present for. So yeah, that's a little bit about us. And so when you started working with your dad, what yeah. were you doing? Because you weren't yeah. the CEO. No, I did, I did not start as a CEO. In <laughs> fact, we had just adopted our middle boys from mm. Uganda. This is in 2011. So fast forward early 2012, I um, was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I had quit my job once we got home with our boys and they had some real needs that needed a lot of time and attention. And so for about nine months, I was a stay-at-home mom. And then I realized that the journey of special needs parenting is a lot. Mm. And um, I really felt that I needed something else, some other outlet where I could kind of feel like I was winning because that's Mm -hmm. a long game, you know, and a lot of, of challenging days. Mm -hmm. And so I went to work part-time for my dad, just about 10 hours a week. And that's where it started. And I just kept taking on more and more responsibility. The business kept growing. And about five years later, I became the COO. And at that point, I, you know, when, when he came to me and said, I think this is kind of the next step, I said, I'm so excited about this, but the only way I can do it is if I can be done every day at three o'clock so I can pick mm-hmm. my kids up at school because I they need me. You mm-hmm. know, I can't be out late with clients. I can't travel a lot. Um, and he said to his credit, I mean, this was pretty amazing. He said, if you can produce the results in that amount of time, awesome. Mm-hmm. And and that really became a challenge for me of, of how do I accomplish big things, but do it in a way that allows me to honor my other priorities mm-hmm. and and that's become really the hallmark of our work at Full Focus and for me personally. Mm. Someone asked me just the other day, do you regret that you work full time? Oh, And I thought it was a very interesting question and I had to think about it for a second, but I love what you're saying. Like, I feel for me, and this is what I told her, that I am actually a better mom. Yes. I'm better in all the hats that I wear because I am doing something that I love that's using my gifts and my passions. But like you said, setting it up and doing it in a way that I have the flexibility to be present and to be home and to be able to show up to important things and stuff, because that's still something that for me, that's a big priority. And so I'm really grateful for that. But I love how you have figured that out. And we were talking before we started recording about how you and your husband are just such a team and you've kind of found really creative ways to work together. Yep to make this work for your family. Yeah. And I think that partnership is so important. My husband, Joel is amazing. He's also our chief product officer. So we also work together, (laughs) which is kind of interesting and it's actually really fun. I mean, I know that doesn't work for everybody, but for us, it's been great because our lives are just very integrated at work, but they're also very integrated at home. Mm. And he has been from the very beginning, just so for me. And so for our partnership together, I can't imagine doing what I've done without him. And like you and I were talking about, we just continue to work at getting better at that partnership, particularly on the home side, because, um, you know, the kids needs change and our professional situations change. And we just keep working at how do we continue to make this a better and better partnership. And that is such a huge secret to Mm -hmm. our success. 
So this book, Mind Your Mindset, The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. I'd love to hear just kind of behind the scenes, how did this book come about? Yeah. Well, like so many things, it comes out of my own story, my dad's story for totally different reasons. Um, The first time that I really became keenly aware of mindset. This is something my dad talked about a lot when I was growing up and uh, particularly in like my high school and college years, I heard him talking about that. But there's a catalytic moment for me when I got asked to speak by our team to 800 people Mm -hmm. at a live event. Now for many people, and you might be listening thinking, oh, that was probably just such an honor. And you were probably so excited. I was not excited. I was terrified because what nobody knew is that I had had for decades, a debilitating fear of public speaking Mm -hmm. that began when I was in high school. I watched a friend be overcome with anxiety, presenting in front of a class, found her in the bathroom, crying. And unconsciously, I developed a story that speaking was dangerous, that I would be publicly humiliated, that I would lose control of my body, not be able to breathe, mm. you know, flush, which I do all the time, very fair skin. So, you know, it's like 50-50 chance that something's red on me at all times. Uh, and and I just wanted to avoid it at all costs. And mm. so my life over, you know, post high school into my adulthood got smaller and smaller as I had opportunities to speak in front of people. Now, I'm not talking about 800 people. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like in a small group from church where you're like going around and reading a book or um, scripture passages or something. I couldn't do that. It got mm. to that level of kind of absurdity. And so fast forward, now here I am, you know, in my 30s and somebody uh, on my team asked me to speak at this event. And I just had this real moment of decision of, one, I feel like I'm going to have to walk away from my career if I don't do this because mm. this is obviously part of my job. Number two, I am tired of being confined by a story that feels simultaneously so powerful, but also so limiting. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not a person who is one to back away from being required to be brave or who doesn't want to do hard things. I mean, I've done all kinds of hard things in my life, you know, and, and yet this story felt like it was still running the show. You know, there's that, that great book called the, uh, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Mm. You know, I think it's Mo Williams is the author of that children's book. And in my case, the pigeon was driving the bus. Mm. And so that request launched me on a six week journey of looking my, story in the face and saying, I I don't care what it takes. I have got to move past this. And so I did what we talk about in the book. Like I went through the three steps we talk about in the book and really worked on ultimately developing a new story. I got an anxiety coach. Our mutual friend, Michelle Kashat was my speaking coach, Uh, all kinds of, I mean, I got like all the outside resources I could, but ultimately I got up in front of 800 people after the day before having a panic attack in the car on the way home from the tech run through and it went awesome. Mm. It was, I was confident. It was just like I had written it. Mm. And so for me, that was the turning point in my life where I said, there is something here with thinking that rather than just try to take different actions and like muscle our way through, which I'm very action biased by nature. If we go upstream, that's where the power is. If we can figure out what stories we're telling and whether or not they're serving us, then there's a whole process we can go through to ultimately use our stories to ultimately change the results that we're getting. So did you immediately know, like you talked about, okay, you had for years and years and years had this kind of debilitating fear of public mm-hmm. speaking, which I can relate to so much because yeah. that was part of my story too. Yeah. But I, I love how you said that speaking 
what did you say? Speaking was dangerous. Yeah, so that, that's that's that a was, story that, that I had, was the story and that I would be humiliated and I would lose control of my body. That's okay. I literally thought I would lose control of my body in front of people. So how did you come to that conclusion that that was the story that you were telling yourself? Like, did you just know that? No, I didn't know that. I mean, for, for nearly two decades, this story is operating in the background of my mind. And the thing about our stories, and this is what the research shows, this is part of what was so fun about writing this book is getting into the research and realizing, oh, there's actually a whole neurological process that's mm-hmm. happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of. The stories that we tell ourselves positively or negatively impact the actions that our brain has access to. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like you um, predispose your brain to go answer certain questions based on the stories you're telling. And it's, it's very obedient. You know, if, if you say speaking is dangerous, like I did, and, and even if it's unconscious, again, like for me, then um, your brain is going to look for evidence of that. It's going to look for solutions to keep you safe because all it really cares about is keeping you safe and keeping you from being isolated from the group. It's like it hasn't quite caught up maybe to where we are today in terms of like the evolution of our environments a little behind. And as a result, um, I was never going to get out of that pattern until I changed the story. But as time went on, that story felt so true to me. And it wasn't until the moment when I got asked to speak and then had this conversation um, with my speaking coach where I realized consciously this story is driving my behavior Mm. and my behavior is leading to this result of I can't get on stage without having a panic attack. Mm. So I feel like there's a lot of people listening who they are thinking, well, I don't know. Do I have any stories that I'm believing? Like, how would I know? Yeah. Is there something that it's like, oh, this is a red flag. This is a warning sign. This is how you know you're believing a story that is not, I mean, what would you call it? What was it a false narrative? Is it an untrue yeah. story? What I would, would you call, call it? I would just call it a story that ultimately is either helpful or unhelpful because okay. the truth is our brain, let me back up for a second. There's what happens in our lives. And these are things that are truly facts. It could be written on a medical report or a police report or something like that. They're observable facts that, you know, if you walked into my life, you would have the same understanding of what the facts are as I would or somebody off the street. Then there's what our brain likes to do. It's a, it's a meaning maker and it will layer on a narrative or a story on top of that to explain what that fact or series of facts mean. So in my story, the facts were my friend became anxious while giving a speech and I went into the bathroom to check on her and she was crying. So those Mm -hmm. are just the facts. See how that is like not very charged, Mm -hmm. nothing. I mean, you could come to all kinds of conclusions about what that mean. You would mean you could think she needs some practice. She must've had a bad day. Maybe somebody was rude to her in the audience. I mean, you could come up with all kinds of explanations, but my brain came up with the explanation or the story that speaking was dangerous. And that ultimately caused a chain reaction in terms of my behavior, which led to the result of I'm not getting on stage. So when you want to try to identify, do I have a story? The first thing is to understand there's a difference between the facts and the story that we're telling about the facts. This is mostly running unconsciously for us. We, we talk about in the book, Mind Your Mindset, that there's like this narrator character, we sort of personify it, and who's always trying to explain what's happening to us. And where you want to look is, is there something that I feel like I can't get a breakthrough on? Maybe you're, you're really frustrated. Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your health or your business or your, your work. You know, you're just like, gosh, I, no matter how hard I try to change this habit, no matter how hard I try, try to change my behavior, it's like I just keep hitting the same brick wall. When something isn't working or you keep trying to go to the next level and you find that you're not able to, that's your first clue. Mm. 
The second clue is that stories typically sound very true, very certain, because that's another thing about how our brains work. Our brain would rather have the wrong story than to have no story. It does mm. not like uncertainty, which is why it doesn't like being out of our comfort zone, doesn't like to try new things. It really wants you to just keep doing the same things over and over again. And so when you say things like, I could never, or they always or, you know, that's just how the world works. That's just how these this group of people is, or that's just how they always are, or that's what they're always going to do. When you use these kind of absolute statements about yourself, other people in the world, that's usually a clue of a story. Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, is it helping me or is it hurting me? Is it limiting me in some way? And the only ones you need to really worry about are the ones that you feel like are limiting you. Mm-hmm. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart, and I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code CRYSTAL for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use CRYSTAL to get your welcome offer. I was thinking for those who are listening who they have children or they work with children that this is something that would be so valuable to understand because I have teenagers and (laughs) I hear a lot of the time things that, you know, I'm like, no, that's not true. Right. You know, like like, he hates me. Yeah. I'm terrible at this or I can never do this or I don't do. I always, you know, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of these big feelings that come out like that. What would you say? So let's say one of your kids is saying something like that, or we can use one of mine as an example, but you know, how do you process that through with them? How do you help them to mind their mindset? Well, one of my favorite things about the concepts that we teach in Mind Your Mindset is that they're great for you. And I always tell people, start with yourself. This is Mm -hmm. not primarily a coaching tool for other people. This is really your own work. Mm -hmm. Like so many things, we got to kind of deal with ourselves Mm -hmm. first. But if you are a parent or if you lead or mentor other people, this is an amazing tool to add to your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And I had a personal experience like this the other day with my son, Jonah, who's 12. So Jonah's learning to play golf. He's kind of struggled to figure out like, what's his sport going to be? You know how kids go through that. Some kids Mm -hmm. know from the time they're little, my son Moses has, it's been football forever, you know, like easy peasy. Jonah, not so much. So Jonah has finally decided golf is going to be his thing. 
Except golf is hard. I mean, it's complicated. I don't play golf, but I watch him play golf. There's all these little, you know, things that you have to be able to put together to be successful. And so he took a series of clinics where he learned a discrete skill each week or for a couple weeks. And then finally, it was time to put them all together and actually play. Well, he was feeling really confident and really excited about this. And so I dropped him off for golf. I'm, you know, sitting in the parking lot waiting for him to get back in the car. And I can see him walking back to the car. And he has that teenagerly like shuffle where his mm-hmm. shoulders are rounded and he's looking down. I can tell it's not gone well. And he gets in the car and he said, mom, I just hate golf. I'm terrible at it. Can I please quit? And I was like, wait a second, what happened? And he said, well, every time I went to hit the ball, it went in the opposite direction or instead of going really far, it just went like a few feet. I mean, it was so embarrassing. And I just think I'm just, I'm terrible. I, I should just quit. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's not objectively true. Object- objectively, the game did not, you know, you didn't do what you wanted to do in the game. Like, we could all observe that. And so I did what we talk about in the book. Number one, identify the story. Number two, interrogate the story. And I said, what, what if you were just learning? What if you're not supposed to have this figured out yet? What if maybe it's not that you're bad. It's just that those other kids have been playing for like two years at least. And I could see in his face the light bulb go on that maybe what felt so true, I'm terrible at golf, I should probably just quit, was not actually the only interpretation of his experience playing. And so he adopted a new story. So um, imagine a new story, step number three. And he uh, decided that he was going to take that story of I'm learning. And I said, well, just think for a second about what kind of actions you would take if you thought you were terrible at golf and you should probably quit. What do you think you would do? And, you know, again, he's 12 and he said, well, I probably just like wouldn't listen to my instructor and I'd probably would um, just not pay attention or try. And then eventually I would just quit. And I said, well, what kind of golfer do you think you'd be if you did that? And he goes, well, I mean, I wouldn't even be a golfer because I would quit. And I was like, you're so right. You know? And then I said, well, what do you think you would do if you thought you were just learning? And he said, well, I'd probably really pay attention to my teacher. Okay. What else? I think I'd really um, practice at home because I would know that I would need a lot of practice in order to, to get better. And I, w- I wouldn't give up. And I said, well, what kind of golfer do you think you'd be if you did that? And he goes, I think I'd be a great golfer. And it was just, it was so rewarding. Kids are, are you know, not as sophisticated as adults. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of right out there. But the truth is, that story about Jonah is exactly like I could name so many stories mm-hmm. about myself. And we just have to have these tools to go from the default work that our brain does with these stories, which are always going to be negative and self-protective. And that's fine. You're not doing anything wrong if that's your experience. But we have a choice. We can actually engage this process in a different way that I think is really empowering. And there's so much agency that most of us have never realized that we have. Mm. So identify the story, interrogate the story, yep. and imagine a new story. Yeah. Three-step process. It's a three-step process. Okay. So you talked about identifying the story. It's when we kind of hit those walls of where we're feeling like either the resistance or we're scared of something Mm -hmm. or, you know, just it's, I feel like we feel stuck. Yeah. So that's, we identify. Something isn't working. Something isn't working. So, okay. So we, we know something isn't working, but sometimes I feel like we have a hard time figuring out how we get from that's not working to what is the story. Yeah. How do, yeah. So how do we get yep. from there? So it's, it's kind of like deceptively simple. All you have to do is say, okay, what am I saying to myself? When I think to myself, back to my story, when I think to myself, they just asked me to get on stage, what thought runs through my head? 
And you kind of sometimes have to slow it down a little Mm -hmm. bit because this is really involuntary. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of can take a few times of looping back around. Wait, wait, wait a second. What, what did I just say to myself? Because it feels so factual and it happens so quickly that it's like you can miss it. But if you go back and say, what am I saying? Oh, speaking is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Speaking might result in me being publicly humiliated because I lost control of my body. Oh, that makes sense why you don't want to speak. I mean, that sounds very logical, you know, um, even though the fear is kind of irrational. And, and so that's all you're doing is stories show up as sentences in our head. It literally has like a narrative component. And sometimes it's big and long, but usually it's kind of like a little phrase, almost like a shortcut for your brain, which is actually what's happening in the brain is that you're, you have these neural pathways that are like highways compared to dirt roads. And your brain, again, just wants to do those things over and over that are familiar. And so if you can identify, what am I saying to myself? And what I like to do is literally write it down, Mm. like get a legal pad or your journal or whatever you like to use and write that down. And then the next step that can be really helpful, and I sometimes do this on a whiteboard. I've done it with groups a number of times, and it's really powerful, is on one side, write down what are the observable facts. And be tough on yourself, because if it wouldn't appear in a police report or a medical report, it's probably not a fact. But write Mm. down the facts, and then write down, like draw a line vertically, and then on the other column, write the stories that you're telling, Mm. the subjective interpretations of what those facts mean. So let's say, um, you know, you're at work and your boss walked by you without saying hello or didn't have you speak in a meeting. And the, the story that you developed about that was, I must be about to get fired. Mm. That has to be what's about to happen is I know that she's probably about to have a hard conversation with me and she's kind of avoiding it. And it like, it's any minute now. Well, once you can see my boss didn't talk to me while she was walking down the hall. And then you see that must mean I'm about to get fired. What you're doing, which is really the interrogation part, is you're loosening up the facts and what actually happened from what you're telling. And that is where you all of a sudden can step in there, kind of create some space and have some agency of, is that really true? Is there maybe another interpretation? Maybe she just got a call from her kid's school that, She's got to go pick somebody up and she also has a meeting at that time. This is a very hypothetical situation, <laughs> um, you know, and she has to figure out how she's going to get to the school while also having the meeting. And she's just thinking about, she's in her own world, you know, mm-hmm. and that all of a sudden creates freedom for another interpretation to mm-hmm. come in. I love, this is making me think so much of something I shared on Instagram story this week. Um, Brene Brown's quote, in the absence of data, we make up stories. Yes. And I, that is, I don't even know what book that was from, but I, when I read that, like for the rest of my life, that has just stuck with me. And I was sharing how I had, there had been this situation with a relationship recently where something had just been off uh-huh. and I had just felt like there were a lot of stories that I could throw into what, but I went to the person and I just said, Hey, just checking in is everything. Yeah. Well, come to find out they had sent me an email two weeks ago oh, no. to explain what had gone down, but they'd sent it to the wrong email address. <gasps> And so they thought that I had gotten this email that really gave context for everything. And I thought something's just weird here, you know, and And they're probably thinking you're ignoring me. You don't care. Like you really don't care, you know, and you're like, I didn't even get the email. And I was, it was just such a good reminder how this could have blown up into a huge thing that they could have made up stories. I could have made up stories, ruined the relationship, burned bridges and just because we both were coming up with our own story about the situation yep. that was based upon just our 
you know, like you were talking about, we didn't have data. And so it's like, something's weird. Okay. They must not like me. I must've done something wrong, you know, and just how we can believe these things. And then we start living out of them. They become the labels that we wear and then Mm that we lead with. And then, so we're living under this, you know, like you talked about the narrator that's telling us this and we think this, and then how we start you know, for years, you didn't go stand on a stage because that was the story you told yourself and how many areas in our life, I wonder how we're being held back because Mm -hmm. we don't even recognize that there's this story that we've told ourselves that is not based upon anything that's actual and true and real. I love how you said, if it's not a medical report or a police (laughs) report, probably we shouldn't be putting it on there. Okay. So we identify the story and then we're going to interrogate the story, Mm -hmm. which you kind of walked through. That's the process of writing all that out, which I was thinking would be so great to do with someone else. Yes. It's so helpful. And, you know, particularly if you've had a story that has taken hold in a moment of pain Mm. or even trauma, you know, part of being an adoptive parent is walking through trauma recovery with your children Mm -hmm. because no child is available for adoption without having come through massive Mm -hmm. trauma. It's just not a natural way of of being a child. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've learned is how powerful that need that our brain has to make sense of the experiences of our life is particularly in trauma. And so the most extreme example of doing this with someone else would be a therapist. And so if you've had experiences like that, this can be one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to have somebody who can walk alongside you and help you to reinterpret your experiences with the benefit of someone who didn't go through that. You know, that can be wonderful. But even outside of capital T trauma like that, you know, a friend, a mentor, a spouse, uh, a coach can be so helpful because there are sometimes thoughts that we can't even think on our own. And particularly when we get to the imagine a better story, step three in this process in Mind Your Mindset, it can be so helpful to have somebody else who gives us ideas for what else, what other story could we tell? Just like in my story about Jonah and the Gulf, he wouldn't have gotten there necessarily on his own, but because I have a different perspective and uh, different life experience. I can say, bud, what are you just learning? And he was mm. like, oh yeah, what if I'm just learning, you know? And that's mm. what we can do for each other. So I love that you brought that up because mm. it's a huge resource. Mm-hmm. This reminds me. So just a, two nights ago, I was at, um, I co-lead a small group for um, our student ministry at church. And one of the girls was saying, I'm shy. And we yeah. were talking about how I, I really challenged her. I said, if that's, that what you believe, I don't think I used the word story, but yeah. like if that's what you have been telling yourself and you keep telling yourself that, you're probably always going to stay stuck in that. Yep. And I said, what if you were to change what you say and start saying either I have a quiet personality, you know, because mm-hmm. I said that 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 is true about you. Yeah. You do have a quieter personality, but I'm working on developing yes. relationships. You know, yep. and I said, why don't you you know, instead of, you know, you don't have to stand in the mirror and be like, I'm the most confident person ever (laughs) that can, you know, maybe that can be helpful for some, but for her, you know, just, we were talking about taking a baby step, Mm -hmm. the baby step of changing the narrative from I'm shy to I'm working on developing relationships with people and going into situations with that. Because I said, if you go into a situation and you say, I'm shy, then you're just going to act out of your shyness and just be like, that's who I am. And so it just was making me think of that and how I, I just love this three-step process. And so I want you to, to, as we wrap up, you talked about imagining a better story. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that looks like. like how yeah. do we do that? Well, first of all, Crystal, I 
appreciate that you brought up not saying I'm the most confident person in the world because our brain has a real ability to spot us kind of overreaching here. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've experienced myself, and I've also seen when I'm coaching people or with my team, is that if you try to go to the level of affirmation, like we all know what affirmations Mm -hmm. are. It's like, you know, maybe you don't think you're beautiful and you just say, you know, like, I'm a supermodel or, you know, something like I'm I'm being silly on purpose. But it's really hard to make that jump because your Mm -hmm. brain just knows like that. mm, Yeah, you're not a supermodel, you know? And I, I think that if we can use the interrogation phase, first of all, to help take out the power of the original story and open our mind to there might be another way of thinking about this, which is really all we're trying to do in that step. Then we can become open to something else. And in your examples, perfect. You can actually use the old belief as a way of kind of springboarding into the new belief about yourself or, um, you know, another person or the world by saying, you know, I have a quiet personality and, or I have a quiet personality, but I'm, you know, learning how to act with courage with other people, Mm. or I'm being intentional about challenging myself to engage one or two people when I walk in a room, something like that, because then your brain is like, okay, I I can deal with that. And you don't always have to have that kind of uh, springboard piece, but for these ones that feel very identity-based or just feel like they really have their hooks in you, Mm. um, it can be helpful to use a fragment of your old story and then create some space that it's not absolutely true by adding that paradoxical statement of and so-and-so or Mm. but so-and-so because then it doesn't get the last word. Mm. And I think that can be really, really powerful. Like I didn't say in my speaking story, I used to be afraid, but now I'm ready for the TEDx stage. You know, I didn't, I didn't say that because that wouldn't have, I I couldn't have gotten myself on board with that. Mm. That would have been very difficult, but, but I did say, um, you know, I, I'm able to confidently step on stage and really connect with the people in the audience because mm. they matter. Mm. And that was very compelling to me. And I could get to that place. So it doesn't have to be outlandish. I'm not talking about affirmations like most of us have learned over, mm. over the years. Mm. So identify your story, interrogate your story, and imagine a better story. Yep. Such helpful, practical tools. and. It's all in your book, Mind Your Mindset, The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. So I know every single person listening probably in the course of this conversation has identified a story or at least identified something that it's this piece that they're feeling resistance, that they're feeling scared of, that they're feeling stuck, and they don't want to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so this book will give you the tools to walk you through how do you identify the story? How do you interrogate the story? And how do you imagine a better story? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the time and effort that you put into this book in the middle of a lot of other things going (laughs) on in your life to really help people to not be stuck, but to be Mm -hmm. able to understand and identify those areas in their life. And then, I mean, I just love imagine a better story. I feel like that's just my hope and my heart and everything I do to just help people live with more joy and intention. And so this book is a great Mm -hmm. resource. So again, we'll link to it in the show notes, Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 